Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. And it's Arsenal, Arsenal FC. We're by far the greatest club that still plays football in England. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Alex Smith, Blockman, Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, yeah, we, we still play football, and that uh, by itself is a distinction, as many, many, many other clubs opted not to play football, including Tottenham Hotspur, who so much opted not to play football that they are no longer in the UEFA whatever league, whatever they call that thing, the, the comedy nonsense league they were in. They're still not, they're not even in that anymore. To be fair, they did play over the weekend uh, against Liverpool in a game that was totally mad and had lots of weird refereeing decisions. But we're not here to talk about that because we're here to talk about Arsenal going away, difficult ground, really, really, really tough conditions, and winning handsomely over, again, I don't want to say that Leeds is like a title contender, but certainly one of the strongest teams uh, in the league. And to do what we did to them, well, let's just say there aren't many teams that are going to score four goals against Leeds. Uh, there may be some that score seven, but that's not four. So, ha, teach you. And on the Instant Reaction Pod, Tim, who was quite in his cups and uh, maybe expressing some opinions that are best left on the Patreon side of things, uh, did reference history of Arsenal beating Leeds, scoring four goals uh, back in the Invincible era. So I'm not saying we're going to be invincible from now on. I'm just saying we're never going to lose again. Here with me now is Paul. You can find him on Twitter. Pause my pencil. Pause. Woo! And Clive. You can find him on Twitter. Clive PFC. Uh, that guy. Hello, Clive. <laughs> hello, hello. Third time we're trying to do this podcast due to interruptions. So at this point, uh, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit is what I tell my six-year-old and my two-year-old. And I am telling everyone that uh, presently. So this was fun. And uh, look, we could run it through the Crapatron. We all get it. But you still have to beat the team that's in front of you. And when life gives you a gift, uh, what do they say about gift horses? Like, don't like get behind them when they have to go to the bathroom or something. Like, like just don't, don't throw it back in your face. Like we got handed something, an opportunity to go beat up a weakened team. And guess what? We went and beat up a weakened team and it's exactly the tonic we needed. And it produced some great results that I'm really excited about. So Clive, the, the, the fun of this game was that there was just chance after chance after chance, 11 shots on target, the most ever by a, an Arsenal team in the premier league, the most by any team in the premier league this season. I think if there was a frustration for me in the first half, it was purely that we didn't score more goals, but yeah. I think there there was a lot of really fun stuff here. But you know what I want to do? I want to start with the star of the show and, and have the first section really be a chance to sort of celebrate what's happening with him. So let's talk a little bit about the player Gabriel Martinelli is turning into. That first goal, the, the reason I think it's more impressive than maybe people give it credit for, first of all, it's not just smashed. He kind of curls it a bit. It, it's well struck. He's the first to it. He switches on and he gets there quickly. 
But it's the fact that we had missed quite a few sort of sitters and open opportunities earlier. And you do that enough, and a bit of nerves can settle in, and you know they get one jammy goal the other way out of nothing, and suddenly you're behind in a game, you should be 3-0 up. Like That first goal that sets you on your path to victory can be stressful. We saw it. We saw other good players miss chances. He smashes that one home. The run for the incredible Odegaard pass and the, the the chipped finish, you know, sort of on the run, again, immense control. And I just think we are seeing him now really get back to the kind of level and beyond it that we projected him to have before the knee injury. So what do you think of of his goals, his performance, and, and the direction he's headed? Yeah, well, it's um, it's it's wonderful, isn't it? Right? I think um, it's not many things that Arsenal fans agree on, but we do agree that some of these young players are pretty exciting and they're making the feeling around the club feel very special. And we were, remember that one of our one of our podcast guys. Remember from the um, the live show, Elliot gave a question around Martellian and were we overrating him? Remember Do that? we overrate him? Yeah, he came yeah. back to us to apologize. <laughs> well, but I mean, at that time, it was a ridiculous question. And I sometimes think, we let's not pretend, we've all, we all like the players, right, when they do well. But at that moment in time, we weren't sure. He came back for the Olympics, he had a bit of a, a, a strange first game, and we weren't, we weren't sure. And it, it, was a, it was a valid question. And, um, and then when he's got back in this time, he's like, well, okay. <laughs> Other people better change positions. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? Because, uh, because he's nailed that one down. And and how has he done it, right? So he's done it with um, developing on what he already had, which for me is a natural ability around the box to finish things off. I don't think that's changed from the moment he's got here. But his ability to keep the ball, when to release it, um, how to defend with his left-back partner, I think, has been significantly better. His movement off the ball was, in, was always good, but I think it's more structured and, and it, it's more within our structure, can we say, and breaking out into areas. Other people are now taking their position off of him rather than him taking his position off of them. And I think that's a change in someone's authority and influence. And when you're good, people let you go and do your thing and then other people then adjust to what you're doing. And I think I can see that developing really in front of me. Fortunate enough to see him on the big pitch last week. And yeah, he just carried it on. And to your point earlier, first goals really matter. They change the whole dynamic. And I, I, the Everton game, for example, still fresh in our memories for how we did not take that game at the start very aggressively. And, I think we've learned from that and took this game from yeah. the one. And I think it's important. I think every time you play, you take something from the last game. And I think we've we've gone back to our fast starts. And man, it's lovely to watch. And to watch his play, I mean, come on, guys. You, I listened to your instant reaction. I think you did about an hour. I think you did an hour on him in that instant reaction. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you wanted uh, to do something on him. I'll tell you that. Much. It got a little weird at times, to be fair. And uh, and so, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna insult the the listener by going through every little bit. It, it's just very good to see him be maybe something bigger than what we actually thought or some than we actually originally thought and we're we're quite hyperbolic about certain players and I think he may even exceed that yeah I, I mean the the issue right is that in Saka and in Smith Rowe and we will come to that we have players that are extremely special and talented in attack I think Odegaard starting to show that he is as well you do need someone to score the goals maybe it will be Saka. I mean, he gets into so many good positions. He has all the technique. He did get a goal in this game, granted from a deflection. But, 
you know, we still see from a finishing standpoint, there are the big chances going missing. I think that that will eventually sort itself out. Emil Smith-Rowe is not going to score from every shot he takes from now until the end of eternity, although I'd love it if he would. But in Martinelli, I think, Paul, what we see is a player who really has a unique goal-scoring capability. Now, to be fair, he's also got three assists on the season. But there's there's a tendency sometimes, I think, to really um, rate heavily players that have very clean technique. And I understand why. Uh, and have all-around, well-rounded games. And it's sort of like the Alex Awobi conundrum we had for a while because Alex Awobi was a lovely player who had good strength to hold the ball up, good technique, could get past a man, you know, good close control, and was clean until the final third when the hardest thing in football has to happen, which is the final ball either into the net or to the player to score a goal. And because he didn't do that enough, he became a player that we felt we could move on from. And Gabriel Martinelli isn't always the cleanest with his technique. He isn't always, you know, going to um, have the, 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 I mean, the close control was, has been pretty spectacular lately, but like, but there is something about what he does in that heat of that moment. You've been played through, you're on the sprint. You've got to get it under control and figure out a way past the onrushing keeper. And that's the hardest moment in football. And he executes those at a high level. So do you think that maybe part of the issue with sort of understanding what this guy's ceiling might've been is that sometimes as an all around footballer, you know, he may look a little chaotic, just all running and all drive and all energy. And, and Arteta referred to that. Right now he has gears in his game instead of being at 100 miles an hour all the time. But but that end product, that final moment, that is still the thing that wins you football matches. And I don't know that we've had a young player quite like him in that moment in a very, very long time. Yeah, I mean, it feels like he's diverted most of his neurons to the attacking, running uh, threat Um uh, raiding the penalty box part of his game um, and that the subtleties, the kind of uh, floating into the pockets, absorbing pressure, clever little touches, passes, etc., isn't is not his highest priority. And I think that's pretty good for us because we need that mix. Um, as we were talking to him, as you were talking to him early on about, you know, have we underrated him or whatever – um, I'd say this much, how many of us thought that Martinelli would push Smith-Rowe out of the team? Uh, Smith-Rowe, by the way, who scores every time he touches the ball. Uh, and, it's a good quality know, to have, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, to the point where we'd be like, well, we can't drop Martinelli. Uh, we we thought Martinelli, we discussed Martinelli earlier in the season and over the summer, and uh, we had qualms about whether Arteta liked him and and where would he be allowed to fit in here? And we, I, I think we consoled ourselves at around January time frame, the AFCON, etc. By then, he should be uh, well bedded into the squad, kind of understand our way of playing, and, and the opportunities would arise, and that maybe the second half of the season would really be his. That was one, one take, and certainly one I was favourable to. Um, I guess we're only a month early here, but like he's arrived, and... Um, I don't think any of us are saying Smith-Rowe shouldn't be a starter. But it begs the question who we're dropping here. Odegaard's in form, Saka's in form, Smith-Rowe's in form. Um, Lacazette's in form if we're... Lacazette's in form. But you're not going to drop Martinelli. Um, A, Arteta tends to give the, the guys a run when they come into the team, the younger fellas, which I think we all appreciate. B, he's he's like our most dangerous player. And C... 
his combination with Lacazette is the key here. I mean, there's two players playing great. Um, and Odegaard's starting to look good in that context too. And you're like, well, Saka always looks good. It's like, okay, so which one of the three of these, who's the key piece of this? And who can we afford to drop to get in Smith Rowe? And like the Smith Rowe's a starter too, but uh, to Clive's point, we shouldn't get too hung up on 11s. But it's it tells us something that you're like, well, okay, now. Uh, also, you might say that he's the most natural lefty while Sa- uh, in terms of the left wing, and Sack is the most natural r- right winger. Um, and so, like, who do you drop? And how do you get the other guys who are also starters and deserve to be starters into the team? He's been great. And one of the things I particularly appreciate with Martinelli coming in is after a game or two where he still deserved to get the next game, he started adding the touches and the quality in midfield, dropping in, uh, he finds his passes. He may not be messy in in the uh, kind of the eight ten spot, but when he drops into the midfield or into those pockets, the half spaces, he'll swing a pass across, and it's a good one. It's a good touch. Uh, he, he's starting. We saw him uh, uh, nutmeg uh, Suchek in the last game. He's feeling comfortable on the ball in the middle of the pitch. He's calmer. Um, and that's where the gears come in. Not everything. He doesn't have to be frantic. He can settle in, and maybe he has a lot more quality on the ball <clears throat> when he uses those those gears. When he's not, I mean, is it, like if you were brought into this team as an eighteen year old, you probably and you had the ability to do what he did and run the, the way he can and terrorize people. You probably run around like a maniac too. It probably takes a couple <laughs> of years, depending on your mentality. I know I would. Uh, like yeah. the endorphins, the adrenaline would be just like you're at. You got sixty thousand people there. You're probably not going to remember you have any gears if you can do what he does. So he did what he did. But Arteta yeah. wanted him to kind of feel the game, know when the time was. But but when the ball's anywhere near near getting in behind, do your thing. And he's been phenomenal. The thing we do where we want to say this player is like that player, I find mm. it hard with him because Martinelli yeah. is Martinelli. Um, he can have a Thierry Henry moment like he did against West Ham. His opening goal against um, uh, against Leeds, more of like an Alexis-type moment. There's Alexis qualities to his game. He's got um, Mane qualities. He, eh, he kind of, he's kind of built like Firmino to me, but not quite the same skill. Like, I, I agree with you. He's a really tough one to, you know, people have talked about Ronaldo 1 and Ronaldo 2. Um, he's got, interestingly, he'll get compared to big names. But, yeah, to your point, he's he's Martinelli and he's a little different and he's evolving or at least beginning to show more and more aspects of his game as well, he goes is, along. This is what I like. Alexis Sanchez was a small space player, right? Thierry Henry was a large, well, he was an every space player, but like Martinelli has both, right? We've seen him go the length of the pitch to score goals and we've seen him get in the crowd scenes and wriggle out and and, and score goals. Like he's just, he's got both those qualities. This was a, a laugher at halftime. It was a th- three expected goals in the first half for Arsenal. They're not just missed opportunities. There were great saves by Melier, to be fair. One from Thomas Partey, who I thought was really unlucky, um, not to not to get a goal there. And Clive, it's funny when, you know, I want to talk Granite Shaka a bit and get just get your general take on why the attack worked. But like when I watch Granite Shaka play for Switzerland, I 
you know, we always have that sense. Do you ever hear people say, oh, why can't this Granite Shaka play for Arsenal? And my thought has always been, well, because the international game is a little slower, there's a little more time, and there's a little more space. And he is a player who, with time and space, can be really devastating. And he must have felt like he was playing for the national team against, like, Luxembourg or something in this first half because every time we beat their press and Shaka got the ball, there were times when you couldn't see a Leeds player in the camera shot. And with that kind of space, Shaka can kill you. I mean, we saw him... Uh, dispossess a Leeds player, have all the time in the world, and play the through ball into Martinelli for the. Um, nope, that's that's not this yep. game, is it? No, you can play the through ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yep. On um, the twenty eighth minute. Yeah, for the for yes, that's right. So that's for the yeah for his second goal. Um, I was confusing that with the Odegaard pass to Smith Rowe, but you know another thing I, I should point out because Clive is often right, as much as I hate to admit it, <laughs> Clive's point that like I fixate on starting elevens. Well, I'm waking up to why that's not necessary because, like, what's wrong with Emil Smith-Rowe coming in, putting the West Ham game away off the bench and adding the fourth to make this game not have to feel even the slightest bit nervy in the second half? Like, that that works. So, Clive, that first half, though, for me, the reason the attack clicks is acres of space once we bypass their first layer of press and then a defense that was incredibly disorganized. But that that's too much focus on what Leeds did wrong. So what did we do right? Yeah, I, I, firstly, I, I really enjoyed that half of football. I listened to it on the radio on what came back from my game and watched the second half live and rewatched the first half about three times since because it's just brilliant, really. And so what did, what did, what did we do really, really well? So we moved them around. Everyone can see that we moved them around. And because they go man-to-man, they, they jump out of their holes in these spaces. But one thing I learned from doing some scouting, you can actually you can get many different measurements on players. And one of the measurements is how quickly a player's psychology changes from attack to defence and offence defence to attack. And that speed and that button and that switch is something that you measure when you're looking for players, right? So, and I thought we were very good at this. So when we received the ball in attack, I felt we went, we flooded them. And so when you start to see Granite Shaka running to the box on, on one goal, on the first goal, when, when's the last time you saw Granite Shaka running into the box like that, 100 miles an hour, right? Thomas Party had a shot running into the box, overlapping Odegaard into the box. Yep. We don't play like this. So that was an attack. That was a, a tactic to flood, to flood forward immediately in transition, right? So that switch, that switch from defense to attack, no matter where you were, what numbers on the back of your shirt, we're going. And we're going to get to that spot, to your zones, Elliot. You know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Get to that zone as quickly as possible. And I don't care who it is. Just get there and create distractions because Lacazette and Odegaard are going to move them around and they're stupid and they're going to follow them. Right? So, And that's what we did really, really well. That transition, that speed. And then everything you see from that is an outcome of of that initial tactic to basically move people and really beat people in the race from out to in into those areas where we cause damage and if you think back to the goals and the best moments they was all on the sprint running in straight lines straight down the pitch and that's all because we were switched on to that turnover that transition and that that psychology of us and i think if you take one thing from this game i hope we do take it is that aggressive primary movement and secondary movements once we receive the ball don't worry about them. Just go. And look what you can create. I think we had 11 shots on target in the first half, which is an yep. opt to yep. record. It's a record. Mm-hmm. An opt to record. That's all, that tells you what happens when you believe in your forward movement and you believe in what you're doing. And everyone does it at the right 
way at the right timing so you you don't run past the passer shall we say so you're you're a dead body you time it you go but you receive it you're getting it because people are trusting each other and I, I thought it was wonderful I really did I love seeing an Arsenal team that's aggressive in their offensive intent you often hear me you know you're bored of me by now saying our intention oh, yeah. our intention to play you know I talk about it and if you want to if you want to mirror Look at the first half versus Everton versus the first half versus Leeds. And all it was was in massively intent to play in their half and to drive them. You know, no fear, just went for them. And I think it was a, a real lesson that you can come up with a game plan which suits your position. But I hope this is part of the game plan that we do more often and we take something from this and bring this into our, particularly for our away games, like at Norwich, for example, their upcoming. Yeah, I mean, I... I... I'm not convinced that the Arsenal of a year ago necessarily approaches this game the way this one did. Um, and that's not meant to be a, a criticism. That's meant to be a a bit of praise for where we're going now in terms of intention to play. So, yeah, I, I think it was great to see. And, Paul, the, the Bukayo Saka thing is interesting to me. Like, he is just becoming such a, a devastating attacking force. And the only last little bit is you know the finishing in the big moments and i i think this could be one of those situations where when it comes he doesn't go up incrementally he goes up exponentially because he gets into so many of these good positions so you know once again i thought he even more than martinelli was probably the the player that hurt leads the most and understood that he had him on toast and could do what he wanted when he had the ball in that right channel but w- what's your take on where he is with his his end product right now and again i mean look he had a beautiful assist. Um, the pullback for the Lacazette was against, was that the West Ham game? Back to front goal? No. Southampton. Southampton. Southampton, thank you. Yes, beautiful. I mean, it's not like he's not producing end product, but we're, we're, what's your take on the way Saka played in this game and how, how he's doing right now in terms of just needing maybe that extra little bit of of coolness in the Final moment. And just to be clear, he did score a goal, deflected, but it was a well-taken shot. He was also very, very unlucky with another well-struck shot, I think against West Ham, where it deflected and went just wide. So I'm not trying to say, you know, he's he's not good at shooting or anything, but he's that last little bit of composure in front of goal away from, I think, another yet another level up. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, that's the missing piece. I mean, the good thing is... Um, it helps your belief when all your mates are doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Martinelli's banging them in. Smith Rowe, his best bud, scoring every time he touches the ball. Odegaard's banging them in. Um, like, he's getting the message that scoring isn't for strikers, that people like him do it. Um, and I, I think, hope, it's just a question of it clicking for him. Uh, I think he both needs maybe a little more composure in the box, but he's such a smart guy um, and so cool, so quick in the moment. I mean, that's his thing, right? I mean, he's got players buzzing around him, two, three, um, and his little feet uh, moving quickly with the ball, and he kind of hovers and he goes one way or another. So he should be able to mince people in the box too. I mean, that's where those kinds of skills, where he kind of shifts his weight one way or the other to open up an angle, so those kinds of finishes will come to him. And the other kind of finish he needs is the Smith Rowers of, you know, get a shot off quickly and leather it. Like, mm. 
you don't always and like his deflected goal is a bit like that. I mean, it's the one he did. He got a couple off. This one he got off, and it's a deflected. Well, guess what? Smith Rowe started. Maybe he didn't start, but a couple of his very early goals for us were jammy looking deflections where he just got it off, and he was pretty lucky. But it gets you going. So you know that yeah, nothing jammy about his goal in this game. <laughs> yeah, so, no. But what it was, I mean, he didn't hit the Smith Rowe didn't. When I look at him, like that was kind of close to the keeper. He didn't hit the corners. He he fucking he got it to one side of the keeper and he leathered it. And he didn't worry about whether it was a great finish, a wonderful finish. It's a bit like the Martinelli one, where we're like uh, the first goal, where he just puts his foot through it. But it's knowing to put your foot through it, knowing to get it enough to one side of the keeper. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be in the corner. And leathering it when you when you're in that spot where leathering it will get you the goal. You just leather it. And I think, he, you know, he's he's too good, too clever not to start banging in goals. But that is the one thing he doesn't have because he's just uh, over on the wing. He's, he's the guy we keep high and wide. And, you know, that balances our play. It's kind of our anchor for our attack on the other side too. You need that. You need the guy high and wide on one side at least how we're playing at the moment. And he's opening up the other side for us um, as we stretch the opposition. And he's pulling two, three defenders over. So he's giving us our goal contribution, but he could do with banging in a couple more for himself and for us. Because, um, you know, lack, when you look at it, Lack is contributing with goals, but he's mostly contributing to how we play. So actually we need these guys, our wide forwards, to start banging them in. And they are, but... But we wouldn't turn down a few extra ones from Saka, I yeah. guess. And, and I think it's going to come. And, and I mean, again, he did score in this game. <laughs> yeah. um, so, but I think, th- look, there's going to be some some subsection of people listening right now that want it expressly stated how weakened this Leeds team was. And I will admit that I do find this game a little hard to analyze in much the same way the West Brom game at the beginning of the season in the League Cup was hard to analyze because there are games that present you opportunities to play in a way that you will rarely, if ever, be presented with. And I recognize that, but I still think you have to execute. And so it's fun to look at, you know, Martinelli, for example, and the execution he had in front of goal or Emil Smith-Rowe. I mean, that pass from Odegaard to Smith-Rowe and that volley after running in behind, I don't care what level of opposition you're playing, that requires really extraordinary execution, and that's exactly what uh, that's exactly what was delivered in that moment. I think the Lacazette thing is interesting, Clyde, because I think there have been times when Lacazette's quote unquote hold up play has been massively overrated and overrated to sort of compensate for his lack of in the box play. I do not think that's the case now. I think he clearly poses a problem for the opposition with the positions he takes up. The extent to which he drops deep and center backs have no one to mark or don't know where to go. And suddenly there's an extra midfielder that the midfielders don't understand where it came from. And, oh, look, there goes Martinelli running in behind me. Or, oh, look, there's Saka now isolated on the wing. Or, you know, a second man run that they don't track. And I, it's not just the positioning. His control looks good. He's beating men. He's winning challenges. He's winning fouls when... You know, the ball could be given away and potentially start counterattacks. He he is he has been given an opportunity, not through something we would like to have had happen, but 
through a circumstance that allows him now to be a critical senior leader in the group and an every game starter. And I, he, it looks like his game has gone up a level. And I think the the way he plays that role is causing the opposition a lot of confusion, a lot of problems. Yeah, he's done this before, hasn't he? He's had these, he's had spurs like this before, and we've had discussions about him before on this very podcast about his um, his real his skill sets and where he belongs in this group. And we've had debates about Bamiyang, and obviously Bamiyang's output is as an individual is greater. But from a team perspective, there is a debate about he, about who is the better player for this team. And as these younger players be, get better and become more consistent with their output, we suddenly think, well, actually, that guy maybe doesn't need to score that many goals because if he's going to enable and facilitate for the others, we're still getting our output. Much like Firmino, Firmino, I think he went a long time without scoring at Anfield, but Liverpool was still racking up the trophies, right? So, um, Well, then, so can I ask you a question related to that? Just real, mm-hmm. could, could part of the reason that I think Lacazette looks a little better doing this now than maybe in the past is that the wide attacking players he's supporting are better than they were in the past as well? Yes, and they're more consistent in their, in their output. Mm-hmm. The balance of what they do and what they like to do and what they're coached to do has changed. So I've sat on this podcast and said Saka could be a an eight. He could be a, he could be a, a Clarence Seedorf. I'm not saying that anymore. Right? He looks like a Mo Salah, Aaron Robin type player. That's what he looks like, and that's what we should develop because his skill set's near the goal. They're too valuable to have deep in midfield being kicked about by idiots. Right, So get him high. You're a forward. Last man, do your thing. Attract people. Let it go to other people in space or jink inside and put it in that postage stamp. Once he learns that, it's, it's all over for everybody. Right, So that's him done. Martelli has arrived. He's got his cape on, and he's not he's not going anywhere, right? So he's only going to get quicker, stronger, taller, better, left foot, right foot. He's, and so the guy in the middle, I'm oh, flipping hell, this is brilliant. I've got, a, I've got a jinky kid from Madrid stepping the ball to my feet. And if he's not there, I've got another kid from South London who's bouncing around me full of energy. I've got these two sprinty 20-year-olds on the outside that can both carry, can both run off the ball, and I want to get to the golden zone of the pitch. This is great. And sometimes as a player, you walk into the room at the right time that absolutely mirrors the skill sets that you have and you become perfect balance for the people that are around you. And so that debate that we had a year ago, maybe with Paul, firmly on the Aubameyang side, only joking, Paul, but on the Aubameyang <laughs> side, <laughs> before you unmuted yourself, <laughs> but we had this debate, and it was quite fiery, wasn't it? Because we weren't sure of the balance, and balance is everything, and we can see the balance now, so it becomes really, really obvious. So we all know Lacazette is not, you know, not for the future, and even if he was, this isn't going to last too much longer. It's the nature of where he is on that Elliot age curve, right? So it's not going to last. He's the oldest 30-year-old in the world. We know that. I should be getting royalties for when age curve is used. I mean, <laughs> if it's my age curve, at least I should be getting royalties. <laughs> and he's the oldest 30-year-old in the world. We know this. But he's having, a, he's having a dead cat bounce at the moment. He's looking great. He's really looking great. So now my brain just goes, what, goes straight away. What do we need to do? What does that forward look like now? Is this what an Arteta forward is? Who are we going to get? Maybe the forward, next forward we get can really, really go full 90s three times a week more than, you know, and that's what we want to see, right? So what's he going to do the next phase? And 
I think by the developing of those attacking mids, and you know, I'd like to see, we've got four at the moment. I'd like to see five, if we're in Europe, I'd like five strong players pushing each other for those three positions so we can rotate. And we need two nines, maybe, and slightly different. And I think that would be interesting to see what we do. So, um, yeah, it's really enjoying watching this because it suits us where we are today. But I promise you, Lance, every game is different. The balance will tweak again because we'll get stopped doing something and then we're going to have to change it again. And having those multitude of players with the skill sets that we like, to be able to change our attacking phase is what we should be working towards. And that's what Man City have. Okay, we haven't got their money, but they have a group of players that are ferociously pushing each other. And that's what we want to get to. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, for me, I have, I've always been torn about the football we're playing or the players that should be playing. You know, you're always trying to figure out how we can get to the level we want to be. But I, I have to admit, like, I just want fun football. <clears throat> That's a good starting point. And, you know, under Mikel Arteta and with this arsenal for a while, there has been the problem for me of just not finding it very fun. But the fun has arrived. Like, the fun has arrived in style. And now, whatever your reservations are, your hesitation is, when it's fun, it's a lot easier to get on board. It's a lot easier to, to see the, the good and overlook the bad. And the fun has arrived, and I'm, I'm just enjoying it tremendously. So, you know, I mean, long may it continue. I mean, I realize we're not going to play this Leeds every week, but I thought it was fairly fun against West Ham, too, and fairly fun the second half against Southampton. And there have been stretches. Look, recency bias is a hell of a drug. I will confess that, like, I think the Lacazette and Aubameyang debate is poisoned by recency bias and also by what's going on with Aubameyang because our quote-unquote good run prior to the Everton and Manchester United games, where we were on a pretty good run other than Anfield, that was with Aubameyang and the team. Our best run post-boxing day last year was with Aubameyang and the team. Um, you know, the, those great counterattacking goals against Spurs, that was Aubameyang. Like, so, <clears throat> and again, it's not because I don't think Lacazette's doing great. I just think Whoever's in the team at the moment we are playing well, everything we ever did before suddenly doesn't count or doesn't matter. But I, I do think there is that extra level of fun and dynamism to what we're doing now. And I think Lacazette has been a huge part of it. So we just cross our fingers. That continues. Um, and, and he now becomes a critical component to our season. In a moment, I want to touch on some of the stuff from the second half. And there's maybe one or two nits we can pick with the second half, although we don't have to do it uh, too much. But... Paul, the, the, the Tomiyasu thing is, is unfortunate in this respect. Tomiyasu is a player who is just so steady and solid and consistently delivering what we need from him without being, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Not that I'm saying he should be. But as a result, I feel like we just don't talk about him much. And I had a note to myself to make sure we talk about Tomiyasu because I just feel like we've done so many podcasts this season where he just doesn't really get much of a mention for a player who feels like one of the first names on the team sheet right now. And when Cedric came on, I think that was my fall in love with Tomiyasu moment. <laughs> because watching Cedric, I was like, oh God, oh yeah, no, no, Tomiyasu's great. What the hell is going on here? This isn't right. This doesn't look right. So, um, I mean, can you put your finger on on the influence Tomiyasu's having? I think for me, and maybe I'm wrong, I think there was a change right around the Villa game where Tomiyasu, we stopped building in that sort of 3-2-5 shape, and we let Tomiyasu push a little bit higher into the midfield and into the attack and give Saka more of a partner to play off of and, and push the opposing fullback back a little bit. And I think Tomiyasu went from 
good solid defender to that Bakari Sanya guy who who is now adding more to our overall buildup and attacking play. So I'm I'm just thrilled with him. He has surprised me by how great he's been. And I think he deserves a little segment here. Can you put your finger on maybe a change in the way he's playing over the last couple months and and what he means to our attack? Um, maybe evolution to how we're playing and therefore he's playing. Um, like yeah, that's more what I'm hitting on. Yeah, that's well said. Yeah, like it could it, it it's hard to work out cause and effect, and and we may just have said, hey, push up, <laughs> and and from that we've pushed up. Or it may be just the evolution of, like, I think something clicked. Um, and I said, um, like, the second half against Southampton since then. Uh, and I bitched a lot about the first half against Southampton um, because I felt we were working it from too deep, and on it, which is fine, but not able to maintain presence, pressure, possession in the other half. We, it was like, this is the. It was good football. Um, it was back and forth. It was an exciting first half against Southampton and all that. But we played almost the whole first half in our half, uh, even though we had quite a lot of possession. And then the second half, we pushed into their half and we stayed there. And West Ham and Leeds. And so, to me, something has clicked. Now, things that click can also unclick. So. Uh, you can lose a player or two and then you're not playing the same way. And was it the player? Is the, you know, do we, when we face bigger, better opposition, do we lose a little confidence? Do we, can we not maintain it up the pitch? But for me, something different changed and clicked. Now we've pressed other teams. We've been proactive against other teams in the past. What I've liked about these last two and a half games is it's an integrated performance Right, it's not just pressing and pushing up field. It's not just ten minutes or fifteen minutes. It's playing from the back, playing through the midfield. We're not like just pressing their back line, forcing turnovers. It's we're con- there's more control, more possession. We're front footed. Uh, we're up the pitch, and Tommy Asu's a huge piece of that for two very obvious reasons. We feel much more confident in our back line defensively which allows, uh, you see, like Liverpool is just the classic case of a team with them without uh, VVD, both for what he can do and, and what he brings as a kind of a pole star to where that team plays. And our back four, uh, in particular with Gabriel, Ramsdale and uh, Tommy Yasu, they just know where they're at defensively. Like, they're a force. Tommy Asu wins his battles always. He doesn't get run past. He doesn't get cut inside. I mean, obviously, at some stage, some Aryan Robin or a Rafinha or whoever the 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 fancy winger is will will do you once at some stage. Everybody gets beat. Well, yeah, yeah, everybody gets beat. Especially a fullback. Like, the attacker, if he gets it right, no, has the advantage. He just does. But... 19 times out of 20, Tommy Asu's running him down the line or cutting him off when he cuts inside uh, and rendering him harmless. He's winning headers. We just, and that frees up Ben White to be more proactive. It frees up everybody to push up a bit. 
and therefore we're pushing up a bit. And so Tomiyasu can bring out or display more and more of that side of his game. I think it's more, my bias is it's more evolution. That, um, And on the Instant Reaction podcast, one of the things I said about Martinelli um, is that even if Aubameyang and, say, Pepe were in great form right now, equal to the form of these guys, I wouldn't swap them into the team and these guys out because the energy is different. And I don't mean running around energy. I just mean there's an energy about our team that is just like as an as an opponent, you'd much prefer to play Pepe than, say, a Martinelli or a Smith-Rowe or a Saka right now. And as an opponent, you prefer to play against Aubameyang uh, than Martinelli, uh, Smith Rowe, these guys coming through at you. Not not in terms of who's more likely to score or who's the better player. It's just these guys are a fucking pain in the ass. They're like all over you. They don't let you rest. Um, and their movement and their busyness. And it's like, it's not nice to play against. And this is Leeds. I mean, Bielsa was very complimentary about us. Uh, but Leeds is a tough place to go. I had a guy in my mentions before this game talking about how we don't like it up, you know, we don't like it up us, uh, we don't like it up north. He saw our Everton game, and like w- our form away from home hasn't been good. And we don't actually love it up north. And this was a very hostile ground. I mean, there were actually incidents of hostility from the grand, ground and like, Chaka, we'll talk about it. Chaka was an idiot, but there's probably an undercurrent of aggression going on here that we're not sensing. This uh, leads, even without their best team, come at you and run at you, and they kick you, and they're all over the place. They're not uh, dirty. This leads isn't a dirty team, but like they're pretty hard running, and putting on a younger team doesn't make them less hard running at you. And yeah. the cra- we saw the their crowd in the second half. Uh, getting behind their team when they were 4-1 down. I mean, this was an aggressive environment, and yet it was our energy that dominated the first half. We absolutely fucking tore into them, and not by front-loading only. We ev- Through every layer, through every line of this team, it was integrated. We played the ball through, and we battered them. And there's nothing wrong with battering a weaker side. I wish we'd done it more often. It's it, like winning's nice, 4-1's nice, but we fucking battered them. We should have beaten them 7-1. Taking down a wounded prey is what winners do. We're not in the winners category yet, but like it's how you do this shit, and we took them apart, and th- this wasn't just about the performance. This was about how we did it. It was great. Yeah, well said. Um, I think, you know, for, for a lot of us, who love Arsenal through thick and thin and just want to see Arsenal get better and better and better. There's always going to be debates and disputes about which player is right for that or which style of play is right or which manager is right. But I think there become moments where you see something that starts to bring people together on the group, on the manager, on the style of play. And these last few games, the second half against Southampton, the game against West Ham, the way we played this admittedly terrible Leeds team, I think there would be sort of a consensus that, wow, that's football I can connect with. These are players I can enjoy. The young talent is sensational. The older players are, you know, leading by example. Certainly, I thought this was a good Thomas Party game, a great Lacazette game. So, you know, and certainly at a minimum, a great first half from Granite Shack, and we can maybe touch on briefly the rest of it. So 
it is it is nice to feel at a critical time of the year. You know, we, we've had so many periods, right, where we started to see them brightly and then November and December saw our hopes sort of dashed as we realized we were brought back to earth on who we are. To be just going from strength to strength now and looking better and more fun and more exciting at this time of the season, yeah, it, it really makes for a good holiday. You know what else makes for a good holiday, though, Clive? Oh, I thought you could ask me about Tommy Asu. What did, what makes a good holiday, Elliot? <laughs> a freshly shorn body, my friend. Nothing makes for a better holiday than cutting through the winter wind with a freshly shorn body. It's a holiday season. And the perfect stocking stuffer, no pun intended, is Manscaped. That's right. It's time. 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with promo code ArsenalVision. Ho, ho, ho. People naughty or nice tis the season to perform. Manscaped's best-selling product is the Performance Package 4.0, which is at the top of every man's wish list this year. And woman's. Why This does not have to be gendered at all. Everybody shaves. Everybody poops. I have that book. Everybody shaves. Don't have that book, but I have Manscaped. Inside, you'll find their Lawnmower Body Trimmer, the best trimmer on the market for your areas. It says that more explicitly here, but I'm going to say areas. The Weed Whacker Ear, Nose, and Hair Trimmer. Let's not forget the famous liquid formulations, the uh, deodorant, the toner, yeah, hygiene is important. Got to do that too. And there's the boxers and the shed travel bag. So it really is great. Dads can't stop talking about them. The teens secretly buy this. I don't even feel like I'm supposed to be legally allowed to say that. And the women will love you for it. There are uh, staff picks from Manscaped. Number one, Manscaped 2-in-1 shampoo and conditioner. Number two, the Manscaped Cologne Infused Body Wash. Number three, the Shears Luxury Nail Kit. I think the nail kit is actually really, really nice. Comes in a nice little uh, magnet closure case uh crop mops is what they call their private area wipes can't always get a shower it's fine and the signature cologne formulations are all vegan cruelty uh, cruelty free dye free sulfate free and paraben free so you know the products are legit go to manscape.com use promo code arsenal vision 20 off and free shipping worldwide get 20 percent off and free shipping at manscape.com with promo code arsenal vision clive would you say that is enough of that yes sir yes sir i agree wholeheartedly okay so Clive I want to touch on the second half uh and and some of this look we got to pick a few nits that's fine no performance is perfect I will tell you that I think well we we can back up a minute because I know you wanted to add on what what Paul's talking about so we'll back up we'll do that first but let me just say this um well go ahead yeah why don't you just add a little quote to that I I think you know yeah we talk about Tommy Asu really and and I, I think um I think we saw something, didn't we? You know, we, we, me and you debated about fullbacks and styles mm-hmm. of fullbacks and what they offer. And, but crikey, sometimes just watch, just how did you feel when Tom Yassi went off? And that oh, ends, well. ends all debates, <laughs> doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> yeah, not good. <laughs> it, <laughs> not it good just, at all. <laughs> it just, it, sometimes in football, things hit you in the face. Oh my God, what was I thinking? Well, we need this guy. We need this. I think certain players suit certain teams. And we've needed a fullback like this for me for quite a while. And it doesn't suit everybody's taste in football. I get it. But I think looking at our centre-backs, looking at where we are, looking at our age profile, we need somebody like this. I felt very strongly that, you know, when, when we got Pepe and I didn't think the mix was right on that right-hand side and the reasons why I don't think he got the ball quickly enough, early enough. I didn't think it was, it was a priority for the fullback. I don't think it was a priority for our centre-mids. Now, suddenly, our right winger's getting the ball off one touch all the time, bang. Straight into his feet. Everyone loves him. And it's just getting into him quicker, so he can get into his movements quicker, and plus he's a good, very good player, full stop. So Tommy Yassi understands exactly what to do attacking-wise. 
and defensively he can he can do most things physically. Two footedness really did surprise me until we saw the videos earlier. But it's to see it in real life every single week, it's not an accident. And what he did when he boxed out the back stick as well, he understands that. So he, he keeps his body between the defender and the attacker and the goal. And he boxes out in the air, he boxes out on the ground. He just makes multiple correct decisions. And oh, for somebody who's just really, every single ground he's going to is a new ground for him. Um, it's just incredible the way he's settled in. And um, for me, I tell you now, I know we all love the young players up front because they're easy to love because they're doing all those flashy things. But for me, he's, he's my player of the season so far. I think he's stabilized our team and I think he's been transformational. I can't go as far as player of the season, but I can go as far as saying that I think I got it really wrong about Tomiyasu. Not defensively, because I think I saw right from the start and even from our scouting video, the defensive quality. I did not see him adding to our game what he has over these past couple of months and he deserves huge credit for coming into the Premier League into a much-changed side in a maybe moment of crisis, you might say, when he arrived, and just being solid from the start yeah. and growing from there. So I think that's a good point that you mentioned about moment of crisis. Eric. Remember when we first came, we he was very much in the three, and we mm-hmm. needed him to be in the three. Yeah. And as we've grown in confidence, up the pitch he's he moved up the pitch. And I think, mm-hmm. but at the time, I was really happy with him in the three. Because we were rocking, man. We were bottom of the league, remember? And um, we needed that stability. We needed that security of the three at the back there. We need to settle in Ben White. And suddenly we found our feet, found our confidence, found our partnerships, found the Lacazette system. And then Lacazette's come in, but he was in at first in, as number 10, stroke nine and a half behind the forward, which meant we had more stickability in the middle of the pitch, which means he could get up the pitch. It's all cause and effect. And now he's just bombing. He's ruling that side, and uh, yeah, he's brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, Uh, well, I'll stay with you for a minute, Clive. So second half, there are really just two moments that I think we should talk about because you have to talk about them. They're part of the game. Um, Mm. One of them is the the Shaka, I think, Russia blood. And it is the thing that I admit sort of distances me from this player. Like, I think Shaka is a good player. He's always been a good player. Whether he's what we need, we don't need, blah, 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 blah. I've been through it forever. Last season, I thought, was his best season at Arsenal, both because he got to play a little deeper, where I think he's a little more comfortable, fewer crowd scenes, more better view of the pitch. And I also thought, generally, he had his emotions in the right place, is the best way I could put it. This was a scene that there was a dead ball. He got into a little argy-bargy kind of situation over the dead ball, kind of for nothing. And Rafinha was out there trying to wind people up, and there, there, was, there was a bit of roughness going on from frustrated Leeds players. I get it. Uh, there's a guy named Robin Cock who was being not... Well, kind of what his name suggests. Um, And that's probably not the pronunciation of his name, but I just like it that way. (laughs) It's funnier. But so he gets into a little something over the dead ball, and then right away, right after that, he goes in over the ball, right down on someone's uh, foot, you know, with with his studs stands on them. And some people have been like, oh, I got the ball. It's perfectly fine tackle. Like, I, I mean, I know we go out of our way to defend our players. This, to me, was classic, like, Shaka just kind of losing his head a little bit. And I'm curious how you saw that moment. And... You know, for me, in a game where there's no stress whatsoever, it's 3-0, they got nothing about them, and you just create that risk of maybe getting sent off or winding people up, and, like, that frustrated me a bit. Again, I'm not killing him. I'm not saying, oh, it's awful. He had a great first half, but how did you feel about that incident specifically, if you felt anything at all? Yeah, it was a deep sigh moment, wasn't it? It really was for me. It was like, oh, come on, man. 
this is the stuff that you I like the fact that we're getting around referees a little bit more and I like yeah, yeah the, that stuff's great <laughs> I like the fact that we're looking after each other I like that it's very important to a team and how he's bonded together but when you're freeing up away from home one of the things the manager will always say is they're coming for you second half don't do anything stupid stay calm don't make this a, a, ten, a 10 game uh, 10 man game sorry and um yeah, I just thought it was a bit dumb. And because he's got a reputation, he's got to tread a, a more careful line, unlike our England captain, shall we say. And he's got to tread that line really, really carefully because he's created a reputation. Some of it deserves, some of it undeserved. And it sort of makes me think, it, it's the sort of thing that he does that makes me go to YouTube and start looking at centre mids for next season. That's, that's <laughs> yep. what it does. Right? And I'll be honest with you, I'm looking at centre forwards, I'm looking at centre mids. That's what I do. right? So my followers will know that. And um, basically, I'm looking harder this weekend because I'll, I got, I'm just tired. right? Because this stuff's going to be really important next year when we're in European competition, shall we say. Hopefully the right one. This stuff, I'm, I'm a little bit tired of it. right? And it's all... I know, I look at the player and I can appreciate him. You know, I can appreciate what he does. I look closely, look at the dirty work. I look at what he does. He stabilised our team again. Thomas Party's playing better against Shock, right? So it's it's all starting to, I, I can appreciate the player, but while really wanting him not to be here past next season, I, I really, because I think there's something better the other side. Do you know what I mean? I, I really do. So you, you can't, I, I, I don't want to disrespect him because I don't need to. Because he is what he is, but I want to see the next version of Arsenal desperately, and and for me, I would like it not to include him. It's nothing personal. I just think there's so much more in this group, in this team, more technical ability, more more mobility. I feel there's more there. He brings a lot of intangibles. He really does, and I do appreciate what he does. And when he starts banging that ball, I mean, the through ball was brilliant for the second goal. Yeah, and, and it came from a ball recovery before that too. Yeah, yeah and, he, and he played fairly, very well against West Ham. So I'm, I'm almost contradicting myself, right? But it's not about the play, though, right? It, there's, yeah. there's the red mist with him, and it's yeah, you know, it's just. And, and, can I make Go a point ahead, about that too, Clive? Because people have said to me, like in my mentions on Twitter, you've been like, "Well, Vieira had that, and Roy Keane had that, and like they were leaders, and they were." But like, let's be clear: if you're Patrick Vieira, people are going to forgive the red cards. Granite Chaka, with all due respect, is not Patrick Vieira. You know, someone said to me, like, "Well, Zidane had that; he got sent off in a World Cup." But like, <laughs> first of all, people hated him for that. Second of all, like, Granite Chaka is not. Zinedine Zidane, <laughs> like, like yeah. we, you know what no one ever says to me? No one ever comes to me and be like, well, Charlie Adam had rush of blood to the head. Joey Barton did, right? Because, like, those guys sucked. Nobody liked Charlie Adam or Joey Barton because they were jerks and they weren't good at football. Now, I'm not, again, Shaka is better than them and he is not them in any respect. It's the point that, like, if you have warts in your game, they are forgiven to the extent that you have really high elite other qualities in your game. And so to your point about running to YouTube to find center mids, I love the way you put it, Clive. It was just a heavy sigh moment. It's not a, oh my God, it's not horrible. Just a, why are you doing that? You know, and he had, yeah. didn't, was this the game where he had like a, a sort of wild sliding tackle on the very edge of the area? I think, right? In the first yeah. half. Yeah. He, and, he, and <laughs> he has these moments. And, but, I, you know, I do look at him and I, 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 I hold him up from some of the players that, I look after and help. I say, look, look at what he does. You know, his ability to be engaged where he needs to be and create space for his yeah. skill. It's really, it's not, it's not dumb. He's made it to the top level of the game. Right? He's not, he's not a donor. I just feel five, six years now at Arsenal. I'm thinking, yeah, all right, mate. I've, I've seen all the films. 
Do you know what I mean? I've seen all the films. It's time for uh, it's time for something else, but not yet. But it's coming in the summer for me, and mm-hmm. I'll be interested to see what happens. What the club do? They've also extended his contract, so in a good place contractually, and also he's a. He's got a young family. I'm sure he's looking at how he wants to live his life as well. I just think there's a there's a there's an ending point coming for this. He place. loves it in London, Clive. <laughs> <laughs> new contract, new contract. Yeah, the kids are in school. His wife has made a lot of friends. They're very. Don't worry about well, that side of it, Clive. They're really oh, thank, settled. Thanks for that, Paul. That's cheered well, me up. Well, well, but, well, but yeah, so, I just hope. I just hope there's there's another story here for Arsenal centre mid. And I look forward to that day while respecting the player hugely. <laughs> yeah, great, perfect. So, look, Paul, the, the other moment of, and the reason I'm touching on these is these are moments that happen. Like, this was a fun game, and, and largely that's what matters. You know, I, I, one thing apl- occurred to me when we were doing the instant reaction. I kind of got frustrated in the second half at one point because it looked like we had gotten casual, taken our foot off the gas, they get the penalty, it's 3-1. And all of a sudden, all that fun of 11 shots on target, and I'm annoyed. And, and then something occurred to me. My job as a fan is to want to be entertained. So when I see 3-0 at halftime and 11 shots on target, I'm dreaming of 10-0. Let's go. Let's keep at it. Foot on the gas. But, like, the job of the players is to win the Premier League match and get three points. That's their job. And get out of there unscathed and on to the next game. And so, like, while it is frustrating when you don't get your 10-0, and it is frustrating when they take their foot off the gas a little bit, like, it's actually okay. You know what I mean? It, it's okay. So, so because... So- they, because not their priorities necessary. and our priorities aren't always the same. Yeah. You know what I mean? and, and it's not inevitable, but it's so, so common that a yeah. team in the holiday period with games back to back, it's all a fucking blur. 15 minutes goes by and you kind of, you're, you're thinking, well, yeah, we could keep this ticking along like this. And like I wanted, we should have had more goals. I wanted to see more goals. Um, and like, they got beat seven. What was it? Seven zero. Seven nil. Yeah. yeah. By City, <laughs> yeah. but that's City. But like forty-five minutes from us, plus we'd a good uh, endings. Like that's huge improvement to battering opponents. We used what? to do it in ten-minute bursts. So you know, progress is progress. Yeah. I and look forward fun. to the day we batter them for ninety minutes instead of like sixty-five. So well, listen. The the thing I, I would say is just that. Maybe in this game in the second half, we saw that little extra missing bit mentality-wise or whatever you want to call it that's the next step for this young team. So that Because look, this was a very weak Leeds. They couldn't hurt us, and ultimately we won 4-1. A very weak Everton, a little bit of a drop in focus, a little bit of a drop in, in what was needed on the pitch, and you wind up getting beat in a game you never, ever, ever should lose. So like that's the next step, right? It's maintaining that elite high-level focus. And so that brings us to the the one other little down moment we have to touch on, Paul, which is just the Ben White penalty. And I'd forgotten about that. (laughs) It it also produced one of the funniest things I think I saw, which is Ben White goes sliding in quite recklessly, clearly doesn't take the ball, clearly only takes the man. And Ramsdale gives him the huge pat on the back and they say, great job, man. He's like celebrating like it was a last-ditch tackle. And it's like clearly a penalty. Um, I don't know, Paul, like that – that challenge felt, again, like an example of just poor judgment in the moment. Like, yes, I realize it's sort of a last-ditch moment, and he's kind of bearing down on goal, but game state, situation being what it is, you don't have to do it. you have any – I mean, it doesn't require immense analysis, but do you have any thoughts on on the decision there? Um, 
like he's still learning the position. He played as a full-on centre back for Leeds, ironically, and they didn't play centre backing the way most teams do. They basically got eleven guys running around the pitch, uh, doing one-to-one marketing, marking whether they're uh, centre backs, full backs, wherever you play. So they don't really have this classic the back unit moving as a you read the game. So. Like, he's played one season where he was a true out-and-out centre-back. Mind you, he played 46 games because he and 90 minutes in each game because he never gets injured. <laughs> yeah. um, Th- thanks for that again, Paul. Yeah, Great. yeah no problem. Just keep it up. Keep it up, mate. Um, whereas <laughs> at Brighton, he played this, you know, it's a different role, right centre-back, a kind of a V, a guy behind you. You got Dunk and Co. behind you taking a, taking a little bit more of the responsibility, the decision-making. And, like, he's really young. Um, He was 21. The other thing is, not only was it one season at at Leeds centre-backing, he was 2021. So, um, like, how much much did he learn? How much did he acquire? He's a great fucking player. I love watching him. He makes football fun. Uh, He's smart. He's cool on the ball. He still makes... Uh, too many mistakes, too many uncenter back mistakes, and I think he's just going to learn the craft over time and learn to read the, the game, the room, the situation, and he'll hopefully do quite a few fewer than those. But we'll because he's not the beefiest. Um, I mean, there's plenty of six foot tall center backs, so I don't think it's particularly his height, but it wouldn't hurt him to be a couple of inches taller. It leaves him a little exposed at times, and people who feel a little exposed or vulnerable may overcompensate a little bit. But he's, for me, he's way too smart to, like, if you're hearing Mustafi overtones, he's just way too smart um, as a player, way too confident. Um, mm. Like you'll see him bounce back in game. He doesn't really get rattled. He'll do something really daft occasionally, and next thing he'll waltz up the pitch and beat four people. Um, <laughs> yeah, I saw um, the, the, on Twitter pretty funny thing. You know the um, Lord of the Rings meme with one of the one of the not hobbits. Yeah, maybe it's a hobbit. And you know where he's running through the forest. Is we're going on an adventure. It's like, <laughs> and, his, and and the tweet was like Ben White once a game. <laughs> yeah, we're going on adventure. But I I will say. Just from a technique standpoint, like if you look at Gabriel, I, I really I was trying to think, I can't in my mind's eye, and this doesn't mean you know I'm remembering it right because memory is classic. I mean, typically wrong, but I can't think of a lot of examples of Gabriel going to ground like wild sliding challenges. And like, I think the next evolution for Ben White is going to be to to stay on his feet in more situations because there was the game. What game was it where he went sliding out by the touchline on someone, um, and and then it had to be. I remember recovered. the moment. I don't remember the yeah, game. But I, remember I don't the remember the game. And then there was um, there was this penalty. There was against Liverpool. Was it where was it Salah who's in? He goes sliding across the box to make challenge, or maybe maybe it was the Everton game. Anyway, I like I said, memory's not great, but I I do think that in high leverage situations he probably goes to ground a little more than you'd want. Clive, do you have a thought? Yeah. On that? Yeah, I, I I don't stress about it for most of you. Um, I think it's, that to me, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't stress about it. I think um, what I'm learning about him a bit more actually is um, he's becoming more aggressive and more front footed as he settles into the group. 
I think he was much more standoffish and and passing from deep when he originally got here. But now he's driving, he's going in. If anything, Gabriel's becoming the sweeper. It's like the other way around, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think, and there was times I can remember discussing with about Gabriel about his rashness, his two bookings against Southampton. We got sent off last season, mm-hmm. diving in. It just takes time. I, I don't stress with 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 young players in particular just developing and just developing partnerships and relationships. It takes time. Some of those slides have created blocks that created, you know, seven clean sheets, whatever it is. It's, um, yeah, that's fair. Mm-hmm. And, and some of them, you think, oh, well, <laughs> he's, he's gone for a hot dog. You know what I mean? Still a bit too early. <laughs> and uh, we, did you spot something in the crowd? There you go. Zoom, cross, across the TV screen. And then you wonder about it. When it works, we, we walk away. Uh, I, I do I, think, Clive, that, that Ben White will become a very good test case for the fans' understanding of what a modern centre-back can be, right? Yeah. Um, because if you get totally hung up on the worst moment every couple of games and that's how you're defining your centre-backs, and then, you know, it is that security, the kind of loss aversion. We hate giving up a goal. Yeah. But if your team's playing well, there may be reasons for it. And, like, that, we didn't bring him in to be the defensive rock of our team. You just don't spend that money on on a center back and buy Ben White to be the most uh secure center back uh, in the league it's not I think he bought him I think his defending has improved since we've since we've got him I think he's got more yeah. aggressive and he's got more physical shall we say in the contact and he wants to go and get it you know what's going to engage but I like that about him but you know for me the, the, everything starts with your centre backs and your goalkeeper. Everything starts there, and we've transformed ourselves in that back two, you know. And I think it's transformed how we attack and how we play and how we carry the ball and how we progress the ball. I think it all starts there. Everything, and I think it's been an unbelievable signing. I thought it was overpriced, um, like everybody did, I suppose. I saw him play for England. I thought, yeah, you're all right, a little bit light, but you're all right. But actually, I didn't expect this influence. We were debating, is he a back three defender versus a back two defender when we got him? And he's come in, bang, slotted in between him and Tommy. As soon as Tommy's arrived, it's changed everything for him. And now he can just run the show. Mm. And from, I think he's our te- I've said before, I think he's our technical leader. And I think, um, I think again, you know, fair credit to the club. We've, we've got something there. You know, we really have got a player for many a year. After multiple, multiple years and windows of having at least one major mistake or misfire in the transfer market, whether it's a contract we shouldn't have given or a, a signing we shouldn't have made, like this this does look to be a very successful group. Um, whatever you think their ceiling is and who's going to be the best and who's not, there certainly doesn't seem to be that. You know what? You know what? Look, you're not going to get everything to be perfect. Not every guy you buy is going to be a star. What you want to do is avoid stepping on landmines, and we certainly haven't done mm-hmm. that with any of this crop, and that's great. So... Um, some some little quick final thoughts on this game, Paul. Uh, Emma Smith Rowe's goal is just beautiful, and it's beautiful from Odegaard, and it's beautiful from Smith Rowe, and it's it's such a moment of class from Odegaard because I it's on the run. We're sort of transitioning. I thought he had let the moment go. He drew two defenders to him. I thought it was too close because I didn't see a path to getting it to Smith Rowe. But that's why I'm sitting here at a desk with a microphone. Um, and he is on a, on a pitch, uh, making tens of millions of pounds to play football, which is you know good for him, great for him. Um, it's it's a sensational pass, and to take that on the volley the way he does, 
Smith Rowe is, is a hard one, it's similar to Martinelli for me, is a hard one to sort of compare to other players. Is he Grealish? Is he Ramsey? Is he what? You know, second man runs, but that's that's a first man run that's straight in uh, behind and, and then hitting it on the volley like that. He's not going to score with every shot he takes, but my God, it sure looks like it. Like, he, he, he comes on the pitch against West Ham. First thing he does, take a shot. All right, it's not quite struck hard enough, but it's it's in the corner, but it's easy to save. Second shot in, game over. This game, maybe there was a little nervousness at 3-1. I don't, I don't really think so, but comes in, makes a run, vo- you know, volley on the run from a, from a great through ball, and, and it's game over. And, like, I, I don't know. Do you have any insight into what you think Emil Smith-Rowe is going to develop into? Because, you know, he he wears the 10, he plays left wing. Sometimes he looks like a forward. Sometimes it looks like he could be that box-to-box type player who makes second-man run. He has a versatility about him, but the goal-scoring instincts really stand out. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, he, like, he can do everything um, in some sense. I mean, maybe he could be a striker. Um like just a straight up striker at some stage. If you I love keep- that whenever we have one position that's become a problem, we then start wish casting yeah, yeah. that every player we have that's good could play that position, right? Yeah. So like when we had Thomas Vermont, we were like, he could be a DM. And now we're like, maybe Martinelli's a striker. Maybe Smith Rowe's a striker. I think ben White can be a striker. Maybe. Ben White can be a striker. There you go. <laughs> go ahead, Paul. Um, I, like, I see him when we move to having more of a three in midfield where you have the your kind of, your eight tens and some guys buzzing around like the thing about where I think Arteta wants to get us to is it won't really matter that much. Guys who are wide will come into that kind of half space spot, that pocket, the eight ten spot and more centrally like the, the Smith Rowe scores his goal, but he also forces the interception kind of deeper into our half he does that a lot. Uh, the goal, you know, the one where um, that game, Aubameyang, the flick over his shoulder and a Smith Rowe runs into it. It's often Nuno uh, pass to Aubameyang who flicks it over the shoulder and Smith Rowe runs the, the length of, of their half and puts it in the net. And like, that's a Smith Rowe interception just before that in midfield. Like, this is a thing he does. He comes deep. Uh, Nick nips the ball, always lays it off to somebody else, pisses off up up the pitch, gets on the end of it. Um, like he's a very attacking midfielder for me, and he can play wide and he can play centrally, but he likes it more to one side than the other because he likes the one two and the go. Um, uh, the disappointing thing for me on this goal was it's it's a beautiful little chip from Odegaard. But then in the celebration afterwards, you can see Odegaard isn't smiling. I think he's I think he's upset that Smithrow has scored off his assist again. And there's obviously something simmering there. Um, <laughs> That's not right, Paul. So I, I didn't say someone this time. I, I don't want to. I don't want to go too far, but I think fair to say, Paul, that Odegaard's probably the next Aubameyang. Then, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Of, Something going on there. Do you think he'll ever play for us again, <laughs> or just totally gone, frozen up? <laughs> Listen, I do want to say say one thing about Odegaard, Clive. Is that uh, and and then totally disregard Paul's nonsense. Um, <laughs> like. I think Odegaard struggled when he first came in this season and and then he was out of the team for a bit and since he's come back he's looked a lot better but I Clive like I watched that Palace game where he played in midfield with Party as part of the double pivot and he looked lost he looked miserable 
He didn't seem to know exactly what was expected of him. He was playing deeper as more of a connective tissue type player or even a midfielder earlier in the season. And since he's come back in, we're up the pitch more, which helps. We're pressing more, but also just our, we have more territory. He looks so much better when he's on the edge of the final third or in on the edge of the box. I mean, you can say, well, that's true for everyone. No, I think it's a point that he is a forward. He is a 10 in the more traditional sense. I don't think he's box to box. I don't think he's a central midfielder. He's not going to be part of a double pivot in the future. And so now he's being allowed to like get in there, you know, really get into scoring positions, head goals in from four yards out and play uh, through balls in from the top of the D. And he just looks like a much better player to me. So do you think, the tweak in how we're playing and him being allowed to take up those more advanced positions and not being as much of the connective player or midfield player has has unleashed him a bit. Yeah, the uh, eternal search for balance, right? So the Palace game, we had Party, we had Smithrow. Do I have to make that the title of the pod? Because it's so poetic. I already <laughs> had the title. You know what? I'm not going to use it, but I want to credit you. The eternal search for balance is a nice title. But it should, it should, it should all be in all our minds. The eternal search for balance. We're always, you should be always thinking about how can we make it better? How can we make it better? And that day against Palace, we had a, a party on his own in midfield as a six, and we had two tens. And they were both having a dance off getting into those higher areas. And Odegaard was the one that dropped in because he felt a bit more responsibility to drop in, and we got boshed by a Crystal Palace team that kicked us around midfield because Mike Dean allowed it. And so that's my big thing on that game. I thought it was over-indexed that game. I thought referee cost us that, and I'll stick by that. Um, now, what's he doing now? Well, he's got competition for one, so he's rang about a lot more. That's that's a good start. He has to get on. He has to get on the ball. He has to produce. I will say we've seen this before in patches last season. And um, I've even quoted the words, I think we may have a superstar on our hands. I'm sure I've said that on a podcast before because some of his performances when he plays well are just that good, right? And the West Ham game sticks in one's memory where he literally runs the whole team offensively. And I think in this game, now he's got partners in crime at the same level fighting for every inch, moving, making him better, just run and he'll find you basically and um some of his um some of his midfield play is really quite subtle his touches there was a pass for the the Saka goal we left foot he opened his left foot out down the line and Saka runs onto it and he comes across and bubbles it in off a deflection but I will say the pass was just beautiful he's really working with people he's creating multiple passes I I, I do like him. I wish he was um, a step quicker, a step more intense. But I listened to what Arteta said about him, and he basically said he is the model professional. Now, if Mikel Arteta, who's been known to have a, one or two high standards, is saying that about him, mm, yeah, that's a time. really positive sign. <laughs> and I think for the medium to long term, that is, I, I'm, I'm prepared to, you know, forsake my want for a little bit sharper player because his brain is sharper than many of the players mm. around him. That's what really counts. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, Arsenal fans are no stranger to overanalyzing words, but boy, do we love to overanalyze body language. But let me tell you some body language you can overanalyze. You want to talk about the manager liking a player. Clive, did you see the video of Mikel Arteta walking up to Martinelli and giving him the big hug? 
I've seen so, bits of it. I haven't made, it, maybe not so seen he, the whole thing, but I heard you he guys talk about it. He walks by like Ben White, it. and there's a little smile on his face. Then he walks past him, his smile starts to get bigger, and he walks past another player, his smile starts to get bigger, and you're like, why is he getting a bigger, bigger smile? And then you realize it's because he sees Martinelli. He's driving his way towards Martinelli, and then he gets a huge hug, huge smile, and like, um, it means the world. I, he just he, he loves that player. He just loves that player. So it means yeah, the world when a coach gives you that validation after a performance i saw um clock do it to young liverpool said the middle of the weekend and i thought you're doing something good it means the world to these young players trust me i know i yeah. know this yeah um, no and yeah. and and he said it right last year he said no one loves martinelli more than me and people are like oh is that true why aren't you using him but like i i think it might be true so long may it continue look if this were if this game had been anything other than an absolute joy of an easy win i might be more inclined to say let's spend some time complaining about cedric because he did not look great when he came on but i don't think it's necessary at all whatsoever so we can finish just with this clive arsenal are going to be in top four at christmas it's a thing that hasn't happened in a long, long time. Some mm. of that is due to games in hand. But I, I think on metrics now, I think 538 has us now as a, you know odds-on to be one of the teams that could finish top four. I think Scott's right? model shows us as a top four team. I think unexpected goal difference, we are now the fourth best team in the league. So now it's not, a, it's not hey, you know, it's not like the Emery 26-game unbeaten run type thing where it's like, but all the metrics are bad. The metrics are now catching up to what we're seeing with our eyes. And that I love that. Like, I am not a believer that your eyes are wrong and the data is right. I'm a believer that it helps me feel good about what I think my eyes are telling me when the data confirms it and says it sees it too. That says to me that what I'm seeing is supported by another, a check on my analysis. And I love that. So that's a good sign. Now, we play Sunderland in the League Cup. Given that we don't have Europe, the League Cup and the FA Cup are competitions we might as well go for. But if top four is really a possibility, and it is really a possibility, it it, it trumps everything. And with Aubameyang out of the team, and I don't know what's going to happen with AFCON, whether it'll happen or not, but like maybe other players going, managing the team right now is really, really important. So for me, Clive, this is this is Wenger-style League Cup. This is Balogun and, and Charlie Patino and... Pablo Marie and this this can't be the first team unless you no. disagree. But if you disagree, I'm I'm going to end this on a severe argument. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, someone just posted a team just now. I'm literally looking at it and I was, and I'll quote it right. So you got Leno, Cedric, Chambers, Holding, Tavares, Elneny, Maitland, Niles, uh, Smith Rowe in the middle, Pepe on the right. He's got in catch on the left. I've had Balogun and I'm Balogun up front, and that's that team. I don't think, apart from Smith Rowe, no one else and said oh, yeah, no one else. Smith Rowe, but yeah, well, they'll probably do half a game with somebody else, right? And maybe a youngster like a Patino or a Saladin, something like that. So, um, so yeah, I think we'll be fine. We've got enough players now. I think Marie's got a uh, COVID, I believe. Yeah, and yeah. Kalashnik maybe. So does uh, Lakanga, by the way. Yes, that's right. Sorry, mates. Lakanga's got COVID, so he will he'll, he'll, question. Go ahead. How about this? Who are the players? Because I know how you get. You get outraged sometimes, and you really lose your temper about stuff. <laughs> Who are the players that absolutely, like if you were able to influence Mikel Arteta, who are the players you'd say, all right, if you need to mix in a few first-teamers, fine, but under no condition are you allowed to start these players? Who would those players be? For this game tomorrow night? Yes. Against Sunderland, sorry. Um, well, there's one player that we need to protect at all costs. Saka. It's Saka. And I'm in your world now. I'm sure you you know the minutes he's played versus other 20-year-olds in, in the top five leagues, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. Wherever it is, it's too many. 
So this is why I'm always looking at the next phase of the balance. I'm looking at Pepe and thinking, are are you with us or not? Because we need you to to save these kids' legs and find yourself and create an, that fifth man in that in that group. I think it's important we have it. Smith Rose looks sharp. Guess what? He sat down. Odegaard hasn't played every minute. He's looking sharp now. Martelli hasn't played every minute. He's looking sharp. So we know there's a cliff coming for one of them. One of them, you know, physically. You know, Saka's had a, a small injury, missed a game or two. Smith-Rowe's had one. So we need that fifth member of the group, right? So who's going to be the fifth beat? Well, I'm not sure who it is, but it's somebody to step up and be that be that guy. And and then we'll be fine for this year. And I think one of the things that, in my own little crazy little head last year, I said, I don't want us in Europe. Remember that? I didn't want us in Europe because I thought there's no point going to Europa League again. I thought the development had been done for young players primarily. There, there was nothing else to do but give fringe players the games. Right, So I didn't want to be in Europe because the best way to make the jump from 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, I think it was 8th, Clive, you idiot, to the top four is all about your schedule. It's all about the schedule. And now we played these games other teams have got multiple extra games because of the COVID situation. For me, the schedule is our trick. It is our trick. If we can, well, it's our advantage, and so yeah. to leverage that advantage, we can't throw it away, right? We can't play Saka against Sunderland. That's throwing away the advantage. You can't yeah. play. I wouldn't play Lacazette, who, as it is, you know, after an hour, already looks challenged shall we say um i wouldn't play thomas party who fitness wise it's been the only thing holding him back now he's getting a run in the team he's starting to look really good don't jeopardize that i wouldn't play any of if tomiyasu's even fit tomiyasu gabriel ben white because we we don't have anyone behind any of them you believe me you don't want to see a run of cedric and pablo marie so you know so this game this game is equally important though Elliot. and i wish we were in the five sub realm at the moment because it'll save it would be really good if it was for us but um, this game is important. So we, we need to see who's sharp against Sunderland because next week we play um, Norwich and Wolves within 48 hours of each other. So these, some of these players, maybe three or four of these players, will be playing in that game, in one of those games, without a doubt. And, probably, and so the Wolves game is a huge game. And so these, game, these guys are really having – we have to get them motivated because – they could be playing against Norwich, for example, and we can't afford to drop three points away at Norwich because no one else will. You and know, and so. you do it if they haven't played in three months. So it's a exactly. part, in a way, he, you know, Arteta should be so happy that this game has come up when it has because it's a perfect chance to get some competitive Absolutely. football into the legs of a couple of guys that might need to start a game next week. And that um, is, you couldn't ask for a better opportunity. Mate, you're bang on. Now, this is the thing. It happens. It I think. Happen. <laughs> I think. Um, you know, I'm, I've I've enjoyed watching Arteta develop, shall we say, and improve. Um, it's challenging sometimes, and one of the things I he has to really, in my opinion, improve upon is when we have multiple games in in close distances, getting the right selections. I think it's really important that he gets that right. This game actually helps him do that. We we have a real chance. Because if we do knock off Norwich and Wolves, we are in a great spot. We really mm. are in a great spot. And now it's about what do we do in January? Do we do something? Do we have some disciplinary contractual issues to resolve? And are there opportunities for us to resolve them? I think that's going to be the key thing for the month of January. 
there may be people who may have an early exit with a few quid in their back pocket in Kalashnikov, for example, if there's an opportunity for him to go and play somewhere else. And so, yeah, we got it's going to be such an interesting time. But if we can just do these next two games, Man City will take care of itself. Trust me, that ground will be rocking on that day. It will be rocking. And let's see what happens. Mm. But it's a free hit if we can win the next two. And then that positions us beautifully for the running. And we can sit there once a week, while everyone else is in Europe, once a week and see where we end up. And I think that's, without getting overexcited, which is my want, I'm just hopeful that if we get a bit of luck of injuries, use the schedule appropriately, we've got, we've got a chance. We've got a real chance. Yeah. yeah. And and just by the way, if you're wondering, like, is Mikel Arteta really a Pep Guardiola disciple? You get these little glimpses, right? Pep Guardiola recently left Foden and Grealish out of the 11, yeah, asked if it was that. rotation. No, not rotation. I decided for this team because they deserve to play these guys and not the other ones. At Christmas time, I pay a lot of attention to behavior on and off the pitch. And when off the pitch is not proper, they are not going to play. So we have to be focused all the time because of the distractions at Christmas time and everything that happens, you have to still be focused. Point is, he went public with it on Foden and Grealish, two very yep. important players, and said, I sat them down because they weren't behaving properly. So, yep. you know, you learn from who you learn from, right? Like that's, One, of, that's one of them is the golden child of English football, and the other one is £100 million signing. It doesn't matter who you and are. And also a golden child of English football, to yeah. some extent. So, it doesn't yeah. matter who you are. It's all about the group. Uh, it's all about the group. It's hard for people to get this. You know, if we lose these last two games, we're having a Bamiyang discussion, mate. We're having a Bamiyang podcast. That's what we're having. And then mm. and it's, it's, it's nature to be. I, I tend to all, if you know my views earlier, it's a, it's a culture, environment, leadership thing. It's very, very simple for me. It's, it's really easy. In fact, if you don't do it, you put yourself under real threat. Yeah. All right. Well, let's leave it there. We'll have a pre-match live stream tomorrow to ensure that we win because remember now we only win after pre-match live streams. We'll have an instant reaction tomorrow uh, to Cedric's hat trick, which I can't wait for. And uh, on and on from there. So Paul's on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thank you very much. <laughs> In case you couldn't tell, Paul had to go about 10, 15 minutes ago. We haven't just been freezing him out. <laughs> My name's Elias Smith, you can on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Got to say how much I love you guys. Thank you so much. So much good feedback, so much good um, debate and interaction, you know, on the Discord, on the Patreon side, on Twitter, and you know, and, and Instagram and everywhere. So just thanks so much. I hope you're doing great. I hope your holiday season is going well, whether you're celebrating a holiday or not, just a, a time of year for hopefully staying safe, being together where possible, and uh, enjoying the Arsenal being by far the greatest team the world has ever seen. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Time to win the